Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 242. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and today is going to be a solo show. Yeah, Valerie was uh, swamped with work, and I wanted to make sure that we got a show out for you today, uh, even though she can't make it. So she'll be back next show, but today is just a solo one. And since it is a solo show... I like to experiment a little bit here, and uh, I should say that we've gotten in a number of questions that, uh, well, just we haven't got to because we tend to prioritize questions. uh, If they're an audio question, uh, they get pretty high priority as we like to hear other people on the show. If it's to our uh, Patreon accounts, uh, we answer the Patreon questions uh, prior to. We give them the top status, so if you wanted to become a Patreon subscriber, uh, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains, and uh, you can ask your question there, and we'll get that one on as soon as we can. But we also have the opportunity, uh, we send in the show notes, there is a link to click on where you can ask questions, and this is a spreadsheet that I have, and we have a number of questions that were sent in, and so I figured I would just do a rapid question and answer session. Uh, where I just go through and I answer as many questions as I can uh, within the allotted time for the show, which, uh, I don't know, (laughs) I guess we don't have allotted times for the show, but I'm going to see how many I can get done in, say, 30 minutes. So, without further ado, let's get on to the beauty questions. Now, this is just a huge hodgepodge of questions as they come in. I haven't edited anything. I'll just uh, read the question and give you my two cents. There was a a podcast that I listened to called uh, Mindscape, the Sean Carroll Mindscape. Good show. But every month he does an an Ask Me Anything uh, AMA, and I think we could do that. So this is kind of uh, an AMA, the Beauty Brains edition. So here we go. First question comes to us from Jane. She says, Beauty brains, I am going insane ever since skincare influencers on YouTube have been rising. It is so confusing. The one thing I know is true and that everyone can agree on is that SPF is essential. Each influencer then seems to have an opinion on what else is essential. It's hard to know if they truly believe it or it is because uh, they are sponsored. I won't name specific influencers because I really do not wish to cause drama. My head is just going to explode. I'm going to keep... uh, trying to reach you, uh, uh, and uh, I'm going to even leave a voicemail. Well, I don't think we've got that, but uh, let's answer this question here. So the question is, um, how do you know what to trust? Well, to answer the original question, like what's good for your skincare? The only thing really proven that is good advice that everyone uh, can follow for skin is uh, use a sunscreen and uh, also don't smoke. Those UV damage and damage caused by smoking are two of the most significant uh, bits of damage to your skin, uh, and that along with just uh, getting older. So if you use sunscreen, don't smoke, and don't get older, you'll have great-looking skin. (laughs) Now, you can't really not get older, but you can do something about the other two. But I don't believe 
in general, any other general advice is going to be applicable to all people. And this is one of the problems with skinfluencers and other skin gurus that you'll find on the internet. Something that may work for their skin may not work for your skin. You know, so the advice you get is just what works for them. It shouldn't be looked at as generally true. Of course, this implies that they are telling you the truth and they're not biased by what some company is paying them to say. There certainly are internet celebrities who have a financial interest in getting you to buy products. So uh, what they are telling you, you shouldn't necessarily look at it as true. Um, so you really can't know for sure if, they, if people are being sincere or not. Now, the third problem is that the definition of what they think healthy skin is, is also somewhat arbitrary. You know, I look at my skin and I think it looks pretty good. It, it feels good. And you know what? I don't do much about it. My wife tells me I need to use a moisturizer and maybe that would help. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I have any problems, but it's not really worth the trouble for me to do that. Even if it would help my skin feel better, I guess. I don't know. So if your attitude about skin is anything like mine, there isn't much that you can do. You know, I wash my face while I shower and that's about it. I mean, I don't even use shaving cream when I shave my face. I just use hot water. You know, however, if you have a different attitude about your skin and what you want it to uh, look like, and feel like, and if you want it to feel some certain way, then uh, there are certainly things that you can do that might help. You know, certainly daily moisturizing probably isn't going to hurt you unless you're sensitive to ingredients. Uh, I see things like double cleansing and toners. They're just unnecessary overkill. Washing your face once is going to remove the vast majority of dirt and debris on your face. And all the additional products that they talk about, they, they aren't going to lead to much different results, in my view. Now, so unfortunately, there is no simple answer beyond use sunscreen and don't smoke. After that, you do whatever works for you. If you want to exfoliate, try it out. Sure. Um, if you if it makes you feel better, the, you know, that's great. <laughs> um, but you don't have to exfoliate or double cleanse to have healthy skin. But if it makes you feel better, go for it. The reality is that no one knows what would work best for your skin. Not even dermatologists, by the way. Derms are the best place to go for advice on treating skin diseases, but they shouldn't be looked at as authorities on anti-aging advice. In this realm, you know, derms don't know much more than anyone else. All right, thanks for the question, Jane. Our next question comes to us from Oksana. She says, Hello, tretinoin is banned in my country, but topical isotretinoin is sold as an OTC anti-acne medication, 0.1%. Are there any studies that show if topical isotretinoin has anti-aging properties? What is better for anti-aging, retinol or isotretinoin? Well, in looking through the literature, I found a review paper that demonstrated isotretinoin uh, showed clinical improvement on photo-aged skin. One study published in the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology showed that a level of 0.1%, it actually had beneficial effects for overall appearance, fine wrinkling, uh, discrete pigmentation, shallow, sallowness, and texture. So, yes, it should work. Uh, tretinoin, of course, is going to work eff more efficiently because it can be used at 0.02%, but I would say isotretinoin is probably going to work better than your standard run-of-the-mill retinol. Here's another Jane who says, does urine have any beneficial chemicals for skincare? 
I mean, I guess water and urea are beneficial. Urine is made up of mainly water, over 95% water. And then urea is the other major component. Then there is some inorganic salts, some chemically modified blood pigments, uh, and ammonia. The uh, modified blood pigment is what gives it the yellow color. Urea actually is a humectant, so, you know, it can have skin benefits of like moisturization. And if you use a high enough level, it has exfoliation ability. Uh, but in urine, it is only made up of about 0.9% uh, urea. So, I, you know, I just don't think it's for skincare. It's really the best idea. In fact, long-term urine exposure is actually a problem for the skin of babies or people with uh, incontinence issues. So in a long term, it doesn't seem like a, a good idea. You know, I think you should really stick to getting your urea from a properly formulated skincare products. That's just my opinion. Uh, but I suppose if you, uh, you know, you want to take urine and rub it on yourself, maybe it'll help for moisturizing. Uh, there seem to be better ways to get moisturized skin. Molly says, hello, I would be thrilled if you could please answer the question for me. Thank you so much. Love your podcast. The question is, will the surfactants in this shampoo remove water-insoluble silicones and general product buildup? If not, would it remove them if used twice in a row? This is the Wake Up Call Volumizing Shampoo from Better Not Younger. And then she lists the ingredients. Well, the surfactants listed in the shampoo include desyl glucoside, cocomethylpropylbetaine, and alpha olefin sulfonate. Yes, those will remove silicones from hair. Now, you might need to do it twice, but that's mainly because there are oils that they have in the shampoo formula, which make the shampoo clean less efficiently. You know, I just really don't understand why do companies continue to put oils in shampoo? The whole point of a shampoo is to remove oils. So when you put the oil in the formula, you are actually tying up the surfactant and you're making the shampoo not clean as well. So it doesn't remove as much oils off of your head. So if you really are interested in cleaning your hair, make sure you get a shampoo that does not contain oils. Oils in a shampoo is just not a good idea. Next up from comes from Sally. Sally says, hi, I am wondering about high frequency in salon spa facials. Is there any actual science behind the, its use or is this a gimmick to charge more? Thank you. Uh, I'm going to say it's a gimmick. Uh, there are no studies demonstrating it's effective to use high-frequency microcurrents to treat acne, which is typically what these treatments are for. Now, supposedly, the treatments are supposed to kill bacteria, uh, which is then reduces inflammation, and uh, no, that, that doesn't happen. That, that, that doesn't work. It's claims uh, of this microcurrent high-frequency increasing the circulation uh, and stimulating collagen production, those are also not supported by scientific studies. So I'm going to go with uh, high-frequency uh, facial treatments, uh, just a gimmick. Aaron says, Hi, Beauty Brains. Thank you for all you do. I find your perspectives fascinating. Lately, I've been searching for non-pore-clogging hair products, uh, yet keep coming up short. Reason being, I'm experiencing breakouts on my forehead and think it is in part due to the types of products that I use to add moisture to my tightly coiled hair. 
It's strange to me that there aren't more hair products that are billed as non-comedogenic in the way skincare products are, especially given these hair products inevitably transfer to the skin on the face. Any advice on what ingredients to avoid in hair products to minimize breakouts while still keeping hair moisturized? Thank you. Well, I think one reason you don't see more hair products talking about non-comedogenic uh, is because you know, hair products are primarily rinsed off. In general, comedogenicity is a bigger worry for ingredients that are left on the skin, not for ones that are rinsed off. Uh, they're, so there just isn't enough time for the concentration of the ingredient left on the skin for it to make that big a difference. Now, but I suppose, you know, there are styling products and conditioners that are left on the hair, and these certainly could have the potential to affect the skin where it is exposed. I think since everyone's skin is different, we can't really recommend ingredients that you should avoid. I would say more generally, avoid leave-on hair products if you can, and avoid any leave-on hair products that you've noticed that you personally have had a problem with. Um, but there just aren't ingredients in hair care that I think are known problem known to be problematic that you should just avoid. You know, maybe I might say plant oils, which you know have lower-chain fatty acids. They could help clog the pores and get problems, but. So, you know, most people would probably do better avoiding those kinds of ingredients. Uh, but for general advice, it's it's kind of difficult. Um, and, you know, there just isn't any easy advice to say, hey, this ingredient in your hair care, avoid it. It's just a really a personal decision. But stay away from the Levon products if you can. Uh, and, uh, you know, silicones generally don't cause problems, so... Silicones and uh, you know mineral oil; those generally aren't going to cause uh, problems of acne. So those uh, you might look for ingredients like that. All right. Well, I hope that helps. Thanks, Aaron. Next up, we've got Sarah. Sarah says, "Hello there. Are you interested in getting paid to post quality content from our clients? I am looking for good sites like yours that are interested in partnering up with us in publishing content for our clients." If you offer link inserts into existing content or accept guest posts, please let us know. <laughs> well, you know, I was going to cut this one out, but uh, I think this was this given us an opportunity to talk about what the Beauty Brains is all about. Uh, first, uh, we get things like this all the time, and, you know, thanks, Sarah. Uh, but the reality is we don't take paid posts on this website or on our podcast. It's probably a mistake financially because, well, because we aren't getting that money. But the integrity of our content and our website on our podcast, uh, we just can't accept paid guest posts or especially links to uh, dodgy websites, even if you're going to pay us. Sorry, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of other beauty websites that would be happy to get content and traffic. We are just not one of those. You know, this is actually a conscious choice that we make here on The Beauty Brains. We are not going to do sponsored content because we want to be able to provide you our unbiased, non-financially driven views on any product or trend or whatever. When you take money from a company, even if you claim that you are going to give your unbiased opinion, you're still going to be biased in favor of that company. That's just how people are. You know, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with taking sponsored content or doing, you know, essentially advertisements for brands. 
I just don't want to do that on the beauty brains. I want us to be a source of unbiased, non-financially driven advice about beauty products. You know, we're trying to experiment uh, to be a listener-supported, not advertiser-supported podcast. And that gives us much more freedom to tell you what we really think is true. So if you want to support us, then head on over to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and you can subscribe too. Any amount you subscribe helps, uh, keeps this show on the air, since, you know, web hosting is not exactly free. (laughs) Thank you. Alexa says, I know Olaplex doesn't rebuild disulfide bonds, but it's one of the best conditioners I've ever used. It worked particularly well as a leave-in for me. Well, meaning that it removed the frizz, uh, added shine, and defined my waves as opposed to weighing them down. Some conditioners uh, make my hair super straight and limp. Others don't. If Olaplex is just a product with really good conditioning agents in it, is there a good drugstore uh, alternative? All right. Well, I looked up over at Sephora and saw the listing for the Olaplex number 5 Bond Maintenance Conditioner. And I have to say... Geez, they certainly put a lot of ingredients in there. I mean, if you ask me, it's a bit obnoxious. Seriously, there are like 50 ingredients in this formula. This, to me, as a formulator, I find offensive. It is ridiculous. I mean, I seriously believe I could cut out at least half of those ingredients, you know, probably more, and make a product that performs just as good. But, you know, then the marketing people don't have as much to talk about. Anyway, I digress. So once you toss out all of the ingredients that aren't really having an impact, you're left with a few primary functional ingredients. Uh, Just as an aside, whenever I look at formulas, I think in terms of three types of ingredients. Number one, there are the functional ingredients, and those are the ones that actually deliver the noticeable benefit uh, to the consumer. Then there are the aesthetic modifiers, and these are the ingredients that are put in, you know, to improve the odor, the appearance, the feel, uh, make the products uh, last longer and affect stability and safer. And those are the aesthetic modifiers. Essentially, they are used to make the functional ingredients look and feel nicer. And then there are the claims ingredients. These are the ones that companies just put in the formula to have their so their marketing people can talk about something. They don't actually do anything that a consumer would really notice. In hair care, you know, that is things like panthenol and vitamins or herbal extracts or something. Those things, they really aren't having much impact, if any impact at all, on how your hair looks or feels after you use a product. So anyway, in this Olaplex formula... Oh, Jeez, I mean, I'm just looking at this list and it's so long. Anyway, they really do just throw anything in there, don't they? Yeah. Anyway, the, the functional ingredients would be things like cationic surfactants. So they have quaternium-91, citrimonium chloride, trimonium chloride, among other things. Those are the ones listed kind of higher up in the ingredient list. There's more of those, so they're going to generally have more of an effect. Now, up before the 1% line. Below the 1% line, it doesn't really matter what the order is in. They're not going to have as much of an effect. Uh, And then they also have in their silicones like dimethicone, amodimethicone, and dimethicone copolyol. You know, sure, there are plenty of drugstore conditioners that would work just as well, I think, that you can certainly try. Um, Now, if quaternium-91 is the thing in this formula that is, uh, you know, working for you, uh, because that is kind of a more unique molecule, 
Um, you could try the John Frieda Sheer Blonde Conditioner, or even uh, I saw the, the Costco brand, the Kirkland Moisturizing Conditioner, uses Quaternium 91. So, you know, you could try those two. In truth, most people on a blinded basis are going to like the performance of something like Pantene or Tresemme Conditioner. Uh, you know, if that's what I would try if you're looking for a product. Align says, I've seen a lot of ads pop up about brands that offer a virtual consultation and then ship you a customized bottle of product. Rory, Curology, Hers, Dear Brightly. I tried one of them and was sent a blend of 0.015% tretinoin and 2.5% niacinamide. My first question is, is this formula likely to be effective against wrinkles and the loss of firmness? And second is, what are your thoughts on these prescription services? Well, as far as that goes, I think this is probably a novel way to sell products, and they are certainly doing some clever marketing. But no, I don't think that you're going to get anything that is going to perform better than something that was made by some mass marketer like Olay or Dove or, or one of those brands. You know, I don't think any topical cosmetic product is going to significantly remove wrinkles in any significant way. And it doesn't really prevent the loss of skin firmness either. Um, these products may make your skin look better and feel better temporarily, but anti-aging topical treatments, they just don't really work that well over time, or at least as well as people would hope they do. I mean, celebrities get Botox injections and facelifts, and they have access to the best... <laughs> you know, topical skincare that money can buy. So, you know, you, you've got to temper your expectations about what you can get from a topical treatment. Now, as far as services like these, these prescription services and customization services, I'm not a big fan. They aren't going to get you to purchase products that are going to work better than the things that you can get at Target, you know, or Ulta or whatever, and you'll definitely be paying more money. Uh, but, you know, hey, some people kind of like the interactive service and it makes you feel better about your skin. So maybe it's worth it to people. Uh, but just know that the products that you're getting and the performance you're getting, getting, uh, it's not going to be better than a non-customized product that you can just get at the store. Next question comes to us from Kiki. Does smoking weed affect hair growth? Well, I look, there is no good evidence showing that it does. There is a correlation study that suggests just smoking has a higher correlation with male patterned hair loss uh, than non-smokers, and it, it's correlated with turning your hair gray, but that evidence is really weak. I mean, correlation studies are not uh, definitive. They're not science. They're a good way to give you like a you know, idea of where you should go with research, but I would never take a correlation study and say, oh, that means this is true. Now, I'm going to say that based on the evidence that I saw, I, no, I don't think smoking weed is going to have any measurable effect on your hair growth or your hair loss. Now, I could be wrong, but uh, there certainly weren't any studies that I could find that said it would. And there's no direct reason why that would happen. Shannon says, Beverly Hills MD Thick and Full Brow Enhancing Serum, is it cruelty-free? Well, I suppose, uh, Shannon, uh, 
that really depends on what you mean by cruelty-free. It's unlikely that they are doing any testing on animals. Uh, most brands won't test on animals just because, well, it's expensive and they don't need to. But, you know, this brand certainly uses ingredients that has previously been tested on animals, which is true of pretty much any brand, even if they say they're cruelty-free. This brand doesn't have some independent outside group certifying them as cruelty-free, but that doesn't mean much in my view. Um, you know, this brand seems to be just about as cruelty-free as any other brand that you might get. Honestly, I just don't really like that claim, cruelty-free. The, the claim should be not tested on animals. You know, any company that... that I mean, that's what they're really saying. Any company that uses plant-based ingredients... Uh, has certainly been responsible for the killing of numerous rabbits and mice and insects during the planting and harvesting of those plants to get the ingredients. So I don't really see how killing a bunny just because it was done in the field to get the ingredient is somehow cruelty-free. It still seems pretty cruel to kill rabbits, especially when they're just living in their homes and you're tilling them up. But I'm sure most of these cruelty-free brands don't agree with my assessment. So the bottom line to me is, yeah, Beverly Hills Thick Brow Enhancing Cream is as cruelty-free as anybody else. Melissa says... This is a follow-up from episode 223. Valerie was going to purchase and report back on L'Oreal 8-second Wonder Water with Lamellar Technology. Did she notice an effect from using it? I do not know. Uh, she did not report back on that, I recall. So uh, we'll have to follow up with her on the next episode, and we will do that. Beck says, Hi, I've had oily hair since my teenage years. I'm now 35. It's also very fine and straight. Managing it has been a daily stress because it gets very oily very quickly. I have to wash it either every day if I want to feel clean enough to wear out, but I'm worried that this will damage my hair over the long term. Or I have to wear it up and use dry shampoo, but it still looks and feels kind of dirty. And are there any products or ingredients that will actually make a difference? Should I invest in scalp exfoliating products like the Drunk Elephant TLC, Happy Scalp Scrub, or the Sunday Riley Clean Rinse Clarifying scalp serum please help ah uh, this is this is a tough problem i really wish i had good advice for you but uh, I, I i really don't the oiliness of your hair is dependent on how much sebum your hair follicles are going to produce and that is dependent on your genetics you just happen to be on the high side of oil production probably now washing your hair every day is probably the best solution now, in terms of damage, well, washing hair is a bit damaging to hair, but it's not a very high level of damage. It's not as damaging as, say, relaxing or coloring your hair, but you know, it's, it's slightly damaged as if you didn't do anything. And that damage that you get from washing your hair, that certainly can be mitigated by using some sort of lightweight conditioner. So you can mitigate the damage that you get from uh, regular washing. But as far as these products you mentioned, no, the scalp exfoliating products, they are not going to significantly help uh, affect at all the amount of oil that's produced in your in your scalp. Uh, 
you know, nor is the Sunday Riley product, the uh, cleanse, rinse, clarifying scalp serum, they, those aren't going to help, in my view. The only solution, really, if you want your hair to uh, feel clean, look clean, is, you know, you've got to wash it every day. Now, you can use, like, a, a baby shampoo or something mild like that, and that could help to reduce the problem. Although if you're having a problem with oil, producing oil, you want a, a higher uh, performance uh, shampoo than something like a baby shampoo. So, uh, you, you know, I, I guess the thing is like using a normal shampoo versus a baby shampoo, the, the amount of damage you do is not going to be significantly different. Uh, so, you know, use a regular shampoo. There is one other uh, uh, there is one other solution, though, um, beyond washing every day. You could just come to love your hair how it is. You know, some people actually prefer that slightly oily looking or feeling hair. So <laughs> that's another solution. I'm not sure everybody can embrace that. Uh, but, you know, stoicism can get you a long way in uh, feeling good about your body. Maggie says, lately I've seen products marketed as tanning accelerators that will supposedly help one tan dark and potentially protect from some UV damage, but mainly tan dark, naturally, even if one is normal skin milk colored. The biggest brands I've seen have been Tropic Lab and the Fox Tan, and after a quick look at the ingredients, they have some of the same actives. Both lotions rely on a mix of acetyl tyrosine, hydrolyzed vegetable protein, adenosine triphosphate, and riboflavin. Uh, they call it Fox Complex in the Fox version. Um, I remember enough biochemistry to recognize these ingredients. However, I haven't the faintest idea what they're supposed to achieve when applied topically. And while my casual searching has turned up reviews, which confirm these molecules are relevant in vivo melogenesis, uh, but it didn't quite answer the whole, will topical application actually make me tan or is riboflavin dyeing me yellow and blinding me from the truth to this being a sham? <laughs> All right. Well, I did take a look at the uh, ingredient list and they pretty much the first bunch are just these pretty standard emulsion ingredients, water, oil, glycerin, aloe, dimethicone. You know, none of those are going to have any impact on your tanning. So then there is the special fox complex that you mentioned. Yeah, the acetyltyrosine, the hydrolyzed vegetable protein, the adenine triphosphate, and riboflavin. Uh, no, these aren't going to work. Uh, you know, this is just claims ingredient fluff. Now, in cell cultures, maybe they were able to show some melanogenesis with uh, applying acetyltyrosine or ATP or riboflavin, but going from a, uh, a plate of human cells to skin, uh, that is a huge jump. And these ingredients are just claims fluffs. They're not actually going to accelerate your tan. But even if you look at their claims, they say the rapid elixir has been formulated to rapidly speed up your natural tanning process. So you still need to ex be exposed to UV to get a tan, so it's not actually making your skin tanner. Then they say that the secret to their elixir is that it prepares your skin by boosting melanin production before you hit the sun or sunbed, uh, which is vital for the tanning process. 
This is bordering on a drug claim, but they're an Australian company, so maybe the rules for claims are a bit different there. I, I don't think so, but uh, yeah, they could be. Anyway, this stuff is not going to significantly accelerate the speed at which you tan. It's not going to increase the melanin in your, in your cells. Uh, it's not going to boost melanin production. And if it did, it would be an illegal product. Plus, you shouldn't tan. You know, tanning is not good for your skin. Being exposed to UVA light like that is not uh, helpful for your skin, and it leads to accelerated aging. You know, if you want a tan look, you know, try one of those self-tanners instead. It's much safer for your skin. Ganel says, uh, the recent Pantene Micellar Shampoo release claims to work wonders in lifting away micro dirt stuck in the scalp and pores via the most gentle and effective way. Is this more effective in cleansing than regular shampoo? Uh, effective enough to justify the higher price. And has there been any scientific data backing such claims behind this micellar technology, specifically for hair products? How exactly is this different or better than regular shampoo? Also, on a different vein, is there a much difference between uh, each Pantene product? So Pantene for damaged hair versus Pantene for hair fall. It seems to me that most Pantene shampoos and conditioners have exactly or similar ingredient lists. Thank you. It's a very astute uh, observation. <laughs> it's really sad for me to see a big company like P&G who really do have good technologies and they have competent product formulators, to see them resort to this sort of uh, marketing shenanigans is really just disappointing. Lifting away micro dirt, that's just ridiculous. Their standard product will lift away all the dirt that uh, that is on the surface, whether it's micro or macro or <laughs> or just dirt. Um, yes, a regular shampoo, of course, it's going to uh, lift away all kinds of dirt. The notion that it doesn't is it's just a ridiculous claim. No, these micellar shampoos are not more effective than regular shampoos in washing your head. There is nothing special about micellar technologies for hair products, except maybe they don't work as well, um, they, because often they tend to be just kind of watered-down versions of regular products. Anyway, shampoos already are micellar technology. That's, that's just, they, that's, they make micelles. That's what they do. You know, that's how shampoos clean. Now, as far as the differences in the Pantene formulas go, um very astute of you to notice that the ingredient lists are the same. And in the cases where the ingredient lists are the same, you can pretty much, uh, you know, pretty much figure that, yes, they are going to uh, work the same. The formulas are going to be slightly different because you want to make them slightly different uh, just for legal reasons. But we're talking uh, small percentage differences in the uh, percentage of the detergents or the conditioning ingredients, or maybe they have some sort of herbal extract or something in there to uh, make it a little bit different. Now, there are some differences in some of the Pantene formulas, but I would say for the most part, they are the same. They use the uh, anionic surfactant. I, I think they use SLES these days or SLS. And then they have a cationic polymer, like, and then they have dimethicone, and those are both for conditioning. Their base shampoo is actually a two-in-one shampoo 
formula technology, but they don't actually advertise it as such. They actually got that uh, technology when they owned Pert Plus, and then they just adapted it to when they bought the Pantene. And Pantene has pretty much had the same formula essentially for the last you know 25 years. <laughs> Honestly, I've looked back. I have I have their uh, ingredient list from 20 years ago. It's the same ingredient list pretty much. Now they might have a uh, clarifying version, which might use slightly different technology. But all you have to do is look at the ingredient list. The company keeps the formulas pretty similar because that allows them to be able to make things less expensively. Incidentally, P and G bought herbal essences, and then they switched most of those herbal essence products to the Pantene base formula. If you check the ingredient list of herbal essences versus Pantene, you'll see they're pretty similar. <laughs> uh, now, the differences are mainly fragrances and packaging. Also, when I did a test looking at the top shelling shampoos that included Pantene, the same formula scored well with consumers who wanted a volumizing product and also those who wanted a moisturizing product. Now, you would think on paper those would be exactly opposite, but indeed, we use the same formula and on a blended basis, People just liked how Pantene made their hair uh, feel, whether they thought they wanted a volumizing product or a moisturizing product. So consumers can't really tell a difference, even if they want what they think uh, are vastly different things. So the bottom line is, uh, yes, there are some slight differences in some of the SKUs, but if they have the same ingredient list, these products are going to work the same. Tris says, hello, I'm from Norfolk in the UK. Uh, thank you for such a brilliant podcast. I really enjoy listening to you both. Uh, I am approaching 69 and my skincare routine really hasn't changed much over the years. What should I be looking for in skincare products? Uh, a lot of products just seem to be very thick and don't do much at all. I want to go to my 70s looking the very best I can. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. I will be sure to let... Uh, Valerie, no. Uh, but Trish, I'd say, you know, what can you do? You can stay out of the sun as much as you can, uh, don't smoke, and use a daily moisturizer. After that, I don't really think there is much you can do. Uh, if you like exfoliating, you could do that maybe once a week. And if you like applying masks, you, you might also try that. But, you know, those things are not really going to give you much more impact than beyond just using a sunscreen and a uh, daily moisturizer. So uh, I know you, you might get different advice at other places, but, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to keep it real here. And, you know, that's what I really believe. Nena says, uh, sir, I'm a chemist from Nigeria. Please, I would like to practice cosmetic chemistry. I saw an advert for learning practical formulations on Chemist Corner. Would love to participate. Uh, so how do I do that? <laughs> well, yeah, that's my other website. You can head over to my other website, chemistcorner.com, and find more about learning how to formulate products. On that website, we also answer formulating questions. So if you're interested in cosmetic formulating, head on over to chemistcorner.com. Cindy says, hi, I love using coconut oil to pre-wash my hair once a week. For the last month, I've been washing my hair, then applying the coconut oil and then letting it penetrate overnight. And then the next morning, I wash my hair again. Do I have to do that because for better absorption? I use Pantene Sheer Volume Conditioner, and that contains silicone. I am on the impression that the oil won't penetrate, though. Am I wrong? Thank you. Well, I have to say it's a good thing Valerie is not here. She's not really a big fan of coconut oil treatments for hair. I mean, I personally think they're fine. 
Now, I don't think you need to put the coconut oil on your hair and let it absorb overnight the way you're doing it. Uh, but you're not. There's no harm in doing that. I mean, it's pretty much going to absorb as much as it's going to absorb, you know, within, say, the first 15 minutes of application or so. I mean, that would be my guess. Anyway, I didn't haven't timed it, but it pretty much happens pretty quickly. And while a silicone will form a coating on your hair, it's not an impenetrable coating to the coconut oil. So, you know, I guess the oil is going to get through uh, pretty much fine. Um, silicone films, you know, on hair, they're never really perfect, so they let things through. But... Honestly, I doubt you're really getting much additional benefit from putting coconut oil on your hair. You know, it might be a fun thing for you to do, but just using the Pantene product is probably all you really need to do to get the kind of hair that you want. But, you know, feel free. Keep keep putting the coconut oil on there if it makes you feel better. <laughs> Jane says, hi, Beauty Brains. I know that layering SPF doesn't give your skin more protection. However, I was told it doesn't hurt either, so... Recently, I read that certain sunscreen ingredients cancel each other out, making the product less effective. If I use an SPF with titanium dioxide and zinc oxide after I moisturize, some days I like to put uh, together more than others, so I will apply a tinted moisturizer or a foundation. If there are other active ingredients in my tinted moisturizer or foundation, such as avobenzone, oxybenzone, and other actives, will that make my SPF less effective? No, sunscreen ingredients do not cancel each other out like that. So it's perfectly fine to mix products with avobenzone and zinc oxide. In fact, some sunscreens have that mix. Now, what may happen is that if you apply a product on top of a sunscreen, you might break the sunscreen film, which could make the product have a lower SPF or not work as well. Now, this isn't the ingredients canceling each other out. It's just the effect that the sunscreen might be lessened because the film isn't as continuous as it should be. Uh, Hopefully that makes sense. But the products you put on top of your sunscreen, if they don't disrupt that sunscreen film, there isn't going to be a problem, and there's certainly not a problem by using the organic sunscreens like avobenzone or oxybenzone on top of a zinc oxide. Jennifer says, I would like to know about alpha hydroxy acids. Would the over the counter AHAs assist in keeping your skin barrier strong and somewhat reversing the aging process as much as over the counter products can possibly do? Yeah, I would say cosmetic alpha-hydroxy acids probably are effective at keeping your skin in as good a condition as you can get uh, with products, uh, over-the-counter products or cosmetic products. At some level, I think they could should probably be even classified as over-the-counter drugs, but the FDA has kind of turned a blind eye to these products for a long time, so they kind of get a pass. So yeah, AHAs are probably the most effective non-prescription uh, skin treatment that you can find. Although I'm sure you'll get some people saying, oh, niacinamide is better. But, you know, I'm much more convinced by the evidence for AHAs. I just got a few more questions here. Here's one from Grace. Grace says, Avon just introduced two products, the Mission Laveur Serum and Cream. When I saw the prices for the serum and cream, I thought it was a misprint. It's $225 for one ounce of the serum and $350 for the 1.76 ounce of the cream. The claims are the serum says the deluxe regenerating serum formulated to help boost skin elasticity and firmness for the smoothest, most useful looking skin ever. And then the cream is enriched with luxurious oils and other moisturizing ingredients to help make skin look firmer. 
smoother and radiantly healthy for a more youthful sculpted appearance. Her question is, do these two ingredient lists contain some miracle formulations to charge that amount of money? Well, in looking at these ingredients lists, the only miracle that I see here is that they've convinced people to spend $225 for one ounce of product. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's a water, glycerin, butylene glycol. So there's humectants in there, uh, kelp extract. I mean, I'm sure they're fine enough products, but there's nothing in there that I would think would justify those huge prices. And if you look at their carefully worded claims, you know, they don't have even amazing claims. They say it's it's formulated to help boost skin elasticity and firmness. So they don't even make uh, quantifiable claims. They're not saying it's going to boost it. It's just help boosting. You know, what does that even mean? And, you know, water can help boost your elasticity and firmness. If you so, And then there's a, the other claim for the smoothest, most youthful-looking skin ever. I mean, the phrase youthful-looking, that's not defined. What, what does that even mean? And then when you add that most youthful-looking skin ever, that's clearly hyperbole because ever is a long time, and they couldn't possibly prove that. And also, wasn't your skin when you were a newborn baby more youthful looking? I mean, come on. There's there's nothing in these products that would convince me that it would be worthwhile to spend that much money on them. Ugh. Water, glycerin, butylene glycol, and dipropylene glycol? Come on, Avon. What are you doing? Next up is Laura. Laura says, how can I avoid hair splits or hair split ends? Well, that is a difficult challenge, uh, mostly because of the second law of thermodynamics. The entropy of the universe is always increasing, which means you're going to get splits. But if you want to avoid hair split ends, you could uh, don't wash your hair, don't comb it, don't color it, don't use a flat iron, don't blow dry, and always use a conditioner. But even then, you're still going to get splits. It's just a battle, and uh, it's a hard one to win, but... uh, you know, you can win a little bit. You can make progress, but you're never going to get rid of split ends completely. Bay says, why do I get lumps of rubber when I use my foundation after some of my beauty products? Well, it's probably not lumps of rubber. There aren't a lot of beauty products with rubber in it. But what you are describing is actually a phenomenon called pilling. And what that really is, is just rolled up remnants of the film from the product that you had applied. And this happens when you put too much of a product on and then the product doesn't absorb properly into the skin. And so you're left with this film, which can roll up on itself. And and that's what you're getting. You know, some ingredients are more prone to pilling than others. Dimethicone is certainly one of those ingredients that can pill up. So if you have that in your product, that could be that. Other ingredients like talc, iron oxides, and mica, these can also uh, lead to pilling since they can uh, go on the surface. It's mostly the result of using too much product. Uh, it, uh, you know, that they haven't, it, you've applied too much of the product and then uh, it hasn't properly absorbed into the skin. My advice would be try using less product and then make sure that there isn't a whole bunch that's just left on the surface of your skin. Miss Tika says, what holds the lip gloss together, keeping it from streaking or separating on the lips? Now, lip gloss, lip glosses actually have uh, film formers in them that are flexible and they can 
uh, move with the skin. And it's these film formers that actually hold all the ingredients together. So film formers is the answer. All right, we just have time for a couple more. Here's one from Eming. She It's a little long one, uh, so I'll try to uh, shorten it here. But she says... How do I look at ingredient lists and know if there's an adequate broad-spectrum preservative system? Finding parabens, phenoxyethanol, and other well-known preservatives isn't hard, but now there are more and more out there. Paula's Choice has a list of preservatives, but it's unclear to me whether these preservatives actually are effective against gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria and fungi. Is silver citrate, I think that's what it is, an effective broad-spectrum preservative? What about hexane diol? The paper suggests it can be combined with other ingredients, uh, but I've never seen these ingredients used. It's all very confusing because I'm not a science person. I came across a couple of articles, one at the School of Natural Skin Care and then another at Making Skin Cares about preservative, and they have conflicting advice. Uh, a separate question is, uh, I have read ingredient lists. Uh, why is it that a lot of companies don't list their ingredient on their websites or they list it in non-standard INCI format? I find this incredibly frustrating to make informed decisions about skincare when I can't easily get information. This is especially pervasive with smaller brands. All right, well, here's a here's an answer to this. First of all, you can't really know that uh, information from an ingredient list because preservation doesn't depend only on the ingredient that you're using, but it also depends on the ingredient level, the manufacturing conditions, the raw material quality, uh, you know, other factors can affect how well a preservative is going to work in any system. Now, I should say that it would be illegal for a company to sell a product that they haven't shown to be uh, stable against microbial growth. So the fact that any product is on the market is probably the best indicator that the preservative system is adequate. Although with the ease at which uh, products can be sold online, uh, I wouldn't exactly trust that, uh, you know, especially brands that avoid parabens and call themselves clean and formaldehyde donors, which are proven safe and effective ingredients, I don't trust the preservative systems that these brands are using. A lot of these new preservative systems are not proven uh, to be effective, in in my view. Now, silver citrate, which you asked about, this is not a broad-spectrum preservative. It really uh, isn't a very effective cos- in cosmetic products, which is why you don't really see it in formulas made by large companies. That y- It's a very good question you have. It's like, Silver citrate, you see it said it's all antimicrobial. Uh, and actually, silver is effective against bacteria, not so much against other types of microbes. But the reason that silver isn't used as a preservative in cosmetic products very much is because it's just not effective when delivered from cosmetic products. And there are other ones that are more effective. Now, just because something can be shown effective in a lab as a killer of microbe, that doesn't mean that it's going to be effective when used in a real-life product under real-life conditions. And as far as the information you find about preservatives online, just remember that anyone can write anything about anything on the Internet, especially when it comes to natural preservation. I I wouldn't believe anything that you read on the Internet. If there were truly effective natural preservatives at large companies, they would just start to use those. There is nothing to stop P&G or Unilever or L'Oreal from using any preservative that they want. And it's not like there is extra profit in them for them to use cheaper preservatives. Preservatives does not add that much uh, cost to your formulas. I mean, it's it's a tiny, tiny fraction. You can't get a profit out of squeezing a tiny uh, penny 
out of a preserver system. And you know, so the the preservative they use is not really generally cost driven. I've also read through that making skincare preservative description that you listed there, uh, you know, and they have mostly accurate and reliable information. It comes from the producers of the preservatives themselves. So the, the information is reliable. I wouldn't trust the information from the School of Natural Skincare uh, information. Any Anyone claiming to be natural formulators or organic formulators, I'm just very skeptical of that information. Uh, because they have an agenda, and that agenda is not necessarily producing the safest and most effective products. And finally, there is no requirement to list ingredients on your website, so that's why some companies just don't do it. And that is also why sometimes if they do do it, they don't list it in the standard INCI format. The only regulatory requirement is that you need to put an ingredient list on your product, and that's pretty much true everywhere in the world. The website um, is kind of looked at as bonus information by brands. And unfortunately, some companies also look at that as an opportunity for uh, engaging in marketing tricks, which is why people don't put accurate ones on their website. In general, I'd avoid uh, buying from companies who don't list their proper ingredient names or even don't list their ingredient lists on their websites. All right, here's the final question. Uh, I'm a little zonked out here and my computer is losing power, so I'm going to finish up with this one. This one comes from us from Jeanette. She says, since they are sold over the counter, I know they cannot go too deep, but do the micro darts actually help any of the active ingredients penetrate better or is this just marketing? Uh, I've not seen any studies that demonstrate micro darts are going to make any active ingredients work better. So I'm going to say... This is all just marketing. Well, that brings us to the end of this batch of questions. My voice is kind of shot, but I've got through a lot of them. And uh, thank you for everybody who sent in your questions. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you actually have a question, you can just record it on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our very social media accounts where we do get questions there and then answer them uh, on instagram we're at the beauty brains 2018 on twitter we're just at the beauty brains and we have a facebook page and of course don't forget our patreon page you can go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and subscribe that helps ensure that we don't take advertising and we keep uh the biases at least the financial bias out of our opinions oh, all right i'm done Thanks again for listening, and remember, as Valerie and Randy used to say, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone.